The very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. A fine wine, your favorite jeans, a drop-top Chevy. So many things get better with age. Unfortunately, your furnace isn't one of them until now. With Barron's Payback Program, you can earn up to $1,500 in combined savings when you upgrade to a new high-efficiency furnace. The older the furnace, the more you'll save. And spoiler alert, two lucky customers will win air conditioning. That dinosaur in the garage has been keeping you toasty for decades. But as much as 40% or more of its energy could be wasted, Yikes, that old furnace is costing you money. So call Barron and save up to $1,500 when you trade in your old model. Plus, two lucky customers will win free air conditioning, including the customer with the oldest furnace. Good things really do come to those who wait. But don't wait too long. Call today. Barron's payback program is going on now through February 28th. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. See BaronHeating.com for details. Skagit Farmers Supply operates three full-service agronomy centers, trained agronomists, precision equipment, and a full range of crop protection. Located in western Washington, they market organic bagged products in stores throughout the Northwest, including Hawaii and Alaska, which are available for pickup or delivery. Skagit Farmers Supply services nurseries providing service to large-scale production as well as smaller rural living enthusiasts. Visit SkagitFarmers.com today for all of your agronomy needs. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over 18 million in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic, and together with PSE Foundation, gave 4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSE continues to lead on clean energy with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at psc.com together. Giving farm workers opportunity to make the kind of money they're used to making in the world of farming, which is really governed by Mother Nature. Well, there's busy times and there's slower times. We're in sort of a slower time now, even though before you know it, things will get busy on the farm again. Welcome back to The Farming Show. Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI, as well as... Well, technically, I guess we're also kind of calling this the Save Family Farming Podcast. Of course, I'm the communications director at Save Family Farming. We've been talking about this issue, and it has now come up in Olympia, as we talked about last week, uh, with Enrique Gastelum here on the program, uh, a hearing in Olympia about this issue of overtime for farm workers. And, um, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive to a lot of folks, but as it turns out, the way that our state has enacted overtime for agriculture, for farm workers, has actually ended up hurting farm workers in many cases. And a lot of it has to do with margins in farming are already so tight. Costs are going up. Returns are going down. Um, so farms are faced with a choice. They can't afford to pay overtime and stay in business in a lot of cases. The, the, the money just isn't there. So what do they do? The only option that they have is to say, okay, people are going to have to keep their hours under 40 hours a week. Um, 
we've seen this in a lot of other industries. You know, I've experienced that in the in the past of, you know, different changes that were supposed to benefit workers were put in place. Well, it just resulted in my hours being cut. And farm workers across Washington state are feeling that right now. State, uh, the state Senate is, and their Labor and Commerce Committee, has been looking at a, a measure that would allow a window, a seasonality window, as they're calling it, where farm workers could put in more hours if they want to, to, to go up to, in, in the case of the language that they're looking at right now, 50 hours a week for a 12-week uh, busy season. We know how that goes on the farm. Again, make hay when the sun shines. It's busy at a given time, slower at another time. So you got to get the hours when you can. Joining me right now, uh, she is CEO of Visions Economic Development Center in Yakima, formerly the Rural Community Development Resources uh, Organization, Maria Rodriguez. Welcome to the program. And and you testified uh, this week at that hearing in Olympia Talk about why you were there and what your message was about this issue and how it's affecting farm workers and also small farms and farmers. Thank you. Yes, I was there to testify, and it's a very confusing policy, and it's very confusing to the general public and to farm workers and to farm owners as a whole. But I do have a Center for Latino Farmers program that I run out of our organization, and some of the main concerns is profit margins, which you mentioned a little bit. They're already so tight. These smaller farms are struggling to compete with the larger farms as it is, and increasing that over time um, hours or having their employees work these overtime hours is really going to cut into any profits, if any, that they're going to be receiving. So this gives believing the farmers that we deal with and their comments that we get back from them is it's going to help us during the busy times where we can't afford to pay them those extra hours. Give us the that small window of 12 weeks or however they decide to do that right. for the workers to continue to work those 50 hours and then, of course, receive overtime after that. There's positive comments, there's negative comments. Like I mentioned, it's a confusing um, ruling in what's going on. But to the most part, farm workers and the farm owners that we've talked about are know that it's busy times. Those farm workers that, let's say, you know, you have your 50 hours or your 40 hour work weeks, and they don't, they're not going to give them overtime after that because, again, farmers are already strapped for cash and for profit as it is. Yeah. What are they going to do? They're going to go seek another employment. They're going to go somewhere else. So instead of just working those extra hours at the same location, they're going to end up working them at another location, at another farm yeah. to for, make up that for, difference. For straight time there as well, right? Correct. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. so then they're going to be back in the same cycle. Yes, it's still going to hurt us from spending time with their families. I mean, that's farm labor. Unfortunately, it's one of the toughest uh, jobs that, that are out there, but it's one of the most needed jobs in our communities. It's yeah. how we eat. Yep. And that's what I grew up doing. I grew up on a red raspberry farm, small farm. Um, so I remember, I mean, July, we hardly ever left the farm because over here, you know, you're over in Yakima, you guys have various seasons of busy seasons for us. It was basically the month of July. That's when we're harvesting our raspberries. My dad who had the farm, he made all of his money for the entire year in like 25 days, you know? Exactly. And so to even miss one day, to miss one hour was a big deal deal and meant a lot to you know whether our family was going to make it or not um, one of the and by the way we're talking with maria rodriguez right now she's ceo of visions economic development center in yakima uh, which is also home to the center for latino farmers over there talking about this issue of overtime farming 
uh, over time, what it really means to farm workers, what farm workers really want, as well as small farms, um, and how they're being affected by this, particularly in labor-intensive crops like raspberries and blueberries over here, like tree fruit, your apples, your uh, cherries, uh, pears, and the list goes on from there, plus asparagus and so many other things. Blueberries also in eastern Washington. The list goes on and on of all the incredible food that we grow here. It affects all of the people involved in this. And I guess one of the things that I've been saying is you have to understand that farming is not like your nine-to-five factory job, which is what the whole concept of the 40-hour work week and overtime after that is made for because you're doing it year round. If you don't get something done on Friday afternoon and you hit your 40 hours, you clock out and say, all right, we'll get to that on Monday. It doesn't work different with farming. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't work that way with cherries or apples or raspberries or any, these are time sensitive. Even just, you know, six hours, 12 hours sometimes is all you have uh, to hit the right window, depending on what kind of fruit you're harvesting. But I say to people, if, and I'm curious what you think of this, if this is a fair analogy, if someone were to come to you, to anyone, I'm thinking if someone were to come to me and say, I have a full-time job for you. It's 2,000 hours you're going to work in a year, and it's going to pay you X amount of dollars. But here's the deal. You can work that amount of hours in a shorter part of the year and then even either have less hours or even take some time off in the other part of the year. I would say, yeah, I'm in. I would love to be able to travel a little bit or have a slower time to spend more time with my family. That's what happens with farming, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And one of the things too, as we mentioned, you know, it is time sensitive. You can't leave the fruit in the tree for the next day because the weather, uh, especially here in Eastern Washington, is a little warmer than the West Side, and it just goes to waste. And farmers yeah. cannot afford to lose their crop. I mean, that's what they live off of. That's how they feed their families, and that's how they pay their bills. And you're right, everything's going up in expenses, and the income is not the same as it used to be. It doesn't add up as well as uh, as we would like it to. Some of the, so some it's of, hard decisions yeah. for, for the farmers and the farm workers to decide, you know, where are they going to go or what's going to happen? It's not an easy decision to do for policymakers as well. I'm thinking about small farms here, too, because uh, often the retort is, well, this whole effort to get seasonality, to mess with overtime um, is just a, a ploy by big, rich farmers to protect their huge wealth and bottom line. Um but the reality is this hits the smallest, the farm workers and the very small farmers harder than anybody, right? Correct. They they don't have as many acres that they can play with. They have the acres that they need to live off of. And many times a lot of people don't understand that. And it's like, well, you have a farm. Yes, but the expenses are expensive. You got, you know, uh, pesticide maintaining, equipment maintenance, um, keeping track of the fruit, the, pest, uh, the pests that are coming, the birds, whatever insects are coming whatever season it is so it really varies you never know what you're going to get you don't know what mother nature is going to do and you have to go off of that you have to call your workers sometimes you're running 24 hours a day some depending on the crop of the of the time of the season and it's just hard decisions by the farm farm owners especially the farm the smaller farmers 
because they're they can't afford this. So they're really going to start considering, OK, do I pay you or do I let my crop go? And we may see some uh, rippling effects, negative ripple effects in the future because of such yeah. things. Well, and there's a really neat story going on here, too. Thinking about your work with Center for Latino Farmers, are these these Hispanic families who grew up, who have been around farming and are now getting in, in some cases, as owners of their own orchards and farms. This is the future of farming. You know, these are the communities, the the people really on the ground who will continue on the legacy that we have here of growing food. You know, as as other populations age out, you see so many farmers going, you know, you know, retiring and their their family not continuing on the family farm. Some of these families who are living and experiencing the the American dream, that that's what they're doing right now. I think that's a largely untold story, the number of farms that farm work former farm workers are now running on their own, which is it's an incredible thing to see. Yes, and it is a growing number, and that's what we've been doing for the last uh, 15 years in our organization and helping transition these farm workers, supervisors of the farm, the foremen, and that are, you're right, you know, the families aren't coming back to farm. They don't want to do it. It's very hard work. So then they're selling it off to their foremen, and they yeah. take it on and because they've lived in the land. They've worked with it. They recognize yeah. it. They know it. And now their kids are, are picking it up as well. Absolutely. Just, it, I, I think that's so cool when I see that happening. And, and, you know, on my Real Food, Real People podcast, I've interviewed a few farmers who, who that's their story as well. I think of Pedro Cuevas over there in Royal City. I think of Flor Maldonado up in, uh, up in uh, Tenasket and, and mm-hmm. others that I've talked with about that. Again, this is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. Our guest right now, Maria Rodriguez. Uh, she's CEO of Visions Economic Development Center in Yakima, uh, which which has a, a, a project called Center for Latino Farmers. Uh, she spoke out on this overtime issue and a bill that would at least start to help give some relief to small farms and farm workers on um, the problems that the state's rollout of agricultural overtime has caused. So we, we've talked about what you're hearing from farmers on this. What about that word from farm workers? Are they reaching out to you as well and, and their desires in what they want to see happen with this issue? Uh, Yeah, we've gotten uh, plenty of calls and comments and, you know, really clarifying what this 50-hour work week looks like and what it is. And it's really just uh, you're still able to work more than the 40 hours or more than the 50 hours. You know, you're not capping the work week at 50, which is uh, misunderstanding many times. So trying to explain what what the issue is and really what it means. After those 50 hours, then you get your overtime pay. If you're working 60 hours, for example, it is a break for the farmer. Uh, In our case, we're helping Latino farmers, um, ownership, owner operators to save a little bit on cost. But it goes across all farmers in the the state. So then they're like, oh, so I can work more than 50. Yes, you you can. It's just depending on the farmer. He may pick 12 weeks in the fall during picking season, or he might pick them in the springtime when to get ready for the crop. I mean, we don't know what the farmer's going to want. We don't know what the weather's going to look like. And it's a, we're going to, it's a trial by error. We're going to have to learn with it as we go. And as it keeps growing and going in in our state. Now you testified at the hearing Thursday morning. Um, What was that experience like? And what, what, what was your sense of, you know, some of the farm workers that spoke there, um, then some activist groups that spoke as well and their attorneys, as well as, as the lawmakers who were holding the hearing, listening, 
how did you feel the whole thing came across? Because there, there was some pretty intense rhetoric about racism and, you know, a lot of heavy duty ideology kind of stuff that some folks are trying to pull into this. Well, unfortunately, I did get there and I was able to testify towards the end. So I did hear everybody's comments, both what you just mentioned, the, the from the farmers, the farm workers, the owners, the legal and, you know, the senators that were in the committee. And, you know, as a nonprofit organization in, in helping and dealing with different folks in our communities, you, you get familiarized with their standpoint and you try to understand where they're coming from. But it, it was a little hostile at points. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's the lack of understanding perhaps of the bill or what it really means. Again, going back to the comment where I hear from our clients and my constituents in our organization is, well, am I only going to work up to 50 hours? No, you can work more hours. It's just that's what they're capping the work week. After that, then it becomes overtime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, there's historical data that shows that perhaps in the past some laws were a little bit more intimidating than they are now. Right. That doesn't mean that's the intention of the senators bringing the bill forward. And sure, a lot of people were, were upset of those uh, strong comments. You know, everybody's passionate of, of their opinions. They're passionate about who their representative. They're passionate of what it is. And it's the heat of the moment. And you yeah. just want to get things out. But, you know, when you have a one-on-one conversation after talking and going through it, then it kind of mellows out. And I think that's this committees are they don't have all the time to mellow out that conversation, really get to the data and the background and the history and why we're trying to do this to try to compromise. But it was very interesting to see that I've been in other committees uh, to testify for economic development for the farmers, um, you know, in agriculture. And it's a little bit of different. It's different every time. It's never the same. There are some that are strong felt of their opinions, and rightfully yeah. so. They can, they're entitled to their opinions. But I think we have to be cognizant of, you know, what is this really doing and how are we helping or hurting the situation? Absolutely true. And that's where we can all hope that cooler heads prevail and actually understand the facts of this situation hear the voices particularly of the actual people that it affects versus people who have political agendas who may claim to be standing up for those people but are they really listening to those people that's that was my big question coming away from that (laughs) meeting where the people uh, some of the people in the room were there saying that they were standing up representing and protecting farm workers yet they were disagreeing with the actual farm workers in the room which was kind of bizarre if you ask me i don't know how you felt about that maria but i i thought you know there is more to the story here that people need to be actually listening to each other rather than continuing down a line just because that's where they've kind of staked their political claim. And and again, going back to my point, I mean, these meetings are to hear both sides, hear both yeah. comments. It's not meant to be uh, attacking a certain senator or a certain committee or a certain organization. We're here to work together. You know, this is what we're that's why laws are made. That's what bills are passed to try to compromise. It's not going to be an easy decision. You know, not everybody's going to get what they want. Not everybody's going to be happy at the end of the day with the decision that's made. The senators, I'm sure, are going to have a difficult time deciding and approving or voting for whatever bill comes to their table. Um, Nobody's ever going to be 100 percent happy. And that's just what compromise is all about. And I think, you know, getting to know each organization and really talking, having those more thorough discussions with different parties, making sure everybody's understanding, Okay, this is A, this is B, this is C. 
let's go any questions on each of these items and then so we can get everybody's point of view everybody's on the same page then we can you know we we still have our own opinions we still are, are going to feel very strongly about our opinions but there's uh there's different ways to go about it and always try to diffuse a situation yeah. and in this case i mean you know we don't have a lot of time to do that i mean yeah. two minutes allowed per per testimony and there were a lot of people testifying and so that just shows how many people care about what's going on in our state. We yeah. care about our farm workers. We care about our farmers. But, you know, as the Center for Latino Farmers, we have to see, okay, our clients are the small farmers. How is this affecting them? How is this hurting them or helping them? How do we help them explain this is what this means? You know, so whatever happens where you're getting your farm workers, they're already struggling in getting farm workers to come work in their farms and competing with the H-2A workers. You know, these are things that oftentimes benefit the larger farms. And some people don't always take that into account. You know, they're trying to yeah. reduce costs. And this is going to help them a little bit to maintain those revenues and keep them at home with their families. And th and this is, you know, some people say, ah, they don't like farms getting bigger and bigger. Well, it's rules and situations like this and a myriad others uh, that are causing, you know, or at least part of the, the reason why farms are getting bigger to be able to manage this kind of stuff. Um, let, let's not, yeah, throw the baby out with the bathwater, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. Maria Rodriguez, CEO of Visions Economic Development Center with us here on The Farming Show. Uh, this half hour, just about 30 seconds left. Maria, just real quick, you know, we're on the air here over in western Washington, but we're going to share this on the uh, on the internets, uh, so folks over on the east side may be listening in at one point or the other as well. Uh, just tell them real quick about your your organization, how they can get in touch with you, and uh, what kind of stuff you guys do. Great. Thank you so much. Again, Maria Rodriguez, CEO of Visions Economic Development Center. We have uh, primary programs of economic development where we provide business assistance and access to capital for 11 counties in central Washington. The Center for Latino Farmers Program, which again assists uh, transitioning farm workers into farm ownership, our citizenship program, and our latest initiative in veterans trying to get into business. So you can always contact us at 509-453-5133 located in Yakima. Maria, thank you so much for your time and thank you for speaking you. out on this issue. Issue. You have a great one. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. Are you looking for an auto shop that offers honest quality service? Hi, I'm Kirk, owner of Angler Automotive. At Angler Automotive, we strive to make sure that all of your automotive service needs are met. Angler Automotive provides the factory-recommended services that are required to maintain your vehicle's warranty. Angler Automotive, outstanding quality with honest, reliable service. Check us out online at anglerautomotive.com. 
Hello folks, are you ready to get your estate planning affairs in order but you don't know where to start? Would you like to hear about the difference between wills and trusts? Do you want to learn how to avoid probate? Do you have questions about Social Security and Medicare? Is it important to you to make life as easy as possible on your spouse and loved ones if something should happen to you? This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham. Join me right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. for the Aging Hour, and let me show you how to set your family up for success in your retirement. In the shop. It makes me sad. It makes me uncomfortable to have to say, yeah, well, it is a nice car. Love the color of the paint. You know, the seats feel great. Kurt from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. You need 10000 bucks worth of repairs. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Okay, so this is kind of stuck in my craw, honestly. And we touched on it uh, there in the first segment. But this idea, uh, we've talked about this before on the show. A group of people that claims to be do-gooders standing up for the underrepresented when they are actually they actually become the people who are arguing against the very people they say they're cl- they're claiming to help and this is so bizarre to people you know when i tell people about this they're like what are you talking about are you serious I'm like come see it for yourself we saw it in action this week in Olympia, you know, I often talk about this and it's based on social media posts and protests that this group does. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the uh, labor activists in the group Community to Community Development and the Farm Worker Union, quote unquote. It's not an actual legal union fully. Uh, Familias Unidas por la Justicia uh, that came out of community to community development, uh, and not to mention some of the other organizations, including Columbia Legal Services, uh, that supports what they do. Uh, these are activists, as we've exposed here on the program many times, they do not believe in telling the truth. Um, they have been documented to spread lies and falsehoods time and time and time again. Yet these are, this is the group that was yet again in Olympia on Thursday in a hearing over an issue that deeply impacts and is harming farm workers in Washington State. They're the groups claiming to stand up for farm workers, right? Remember that? Familias Unidas por la Justicia, they stand up for farm workers. Yet they were the ones testifying against over a dozen actual real-life farm workers who are in that room testifying the other direction. What's probably almost as troubling or more troubling is the response, the words, um, the reactions of some of the lawmakers in the room as well that also say they stand up for farm workers, yet 
their words and actions on Thursday didn't align with that at all. Joining me right now is someone we've been talking about with this issue. Enrique Gastelum uh, grew up as a farm worker here in Washington State, a farm worker family. Um, now he is a CEO of the labor organization WAFLA. Uh, Enrique, thanks for being here. You testified as well. First, talk about your testimony. Before we get into some of this craziness, talk about what your take was on this issue and why you were there to testify what the truth is. Yeah, Dylan, thanks. Um, yes, I I felt I needed to speak up for the, you know, we're supporting 18,000 H-2A workers that are coming to our stilt to, state to fill this dramatic, dramatic labor gap that our labor-intensive ag industry is uh, facing. And H-2A workers are traveling thousands of miles away to come and earn money. And because of overtime laws, their employers are having to make very difficult uh, decisions and uh, finances and the economics being our industry, our price takers. There's not just this major pot of money of income coming in and with every other cost going up with their business, they're being forced to cap people's wages because they can't af- afford the effects of, uh, of overtime. You know, last year we saw it at 55. This year it's going to be even more dramatic at 48 and next year at 40. And so people are already building into their labor plans and communicating to their workers Yes, we need you to work, but unfortunately, we can only let you work X amount of hours. And workers are very concerned, seriously upset. They are coming to work. They want to work. They know their paychecks are going to be less going home. Um, They know going to the grocery store with the 100 bucks now only gets you two bags of groceries. And so it's a double-edged sword. And so while, yeah, the bill, when it was passed, I believe had some good intentions, there was some very, very short-sightedness and people not thinking about the actual economics of it and what it would force the industry to have to do to stay viable. And so uh, when this hearing came about, uh, myself, many others in the ag group got workers, I mean, workers and growers and farmers testified together. This is one of the few times you actually saw the community of the symbiotic relationship of True farm workers, laborers that have relationships with their employers on the same side of the issue, telling the truth to our legislature about how ag, this ag overtime law and its dramatically decreasing threshold is affecting them now and it is scaring them how it is going to affect them tomorrow. Even some Latino orchard farmers testifying and saying, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family next year. Yeah. And so that was sort of what we all came in with our game plan is just to tell the truth and say, look, we know overtime is here. We're not saying we don't want to never pay overtime, but can we get a little bit of rebalancing? Can we get some relief during these peak times to take some of the sting out of this? So we can let people work. People want to work. That was heard over and over. Let us work. Let us work during the wintertime. We can't get as much hours as we need. We depend upon that income during peak times to save it up. People are accustomed to it. They're used to it. Their lives are built around it. And we have a legislature that is being fed, quite frankly, lies and other information. And they are not in tune 
with the economics and the impacts of this, and they are just broad-brushingly sweeping this under the rug. And yesterday's, yesterday's, it was my first time ever testifying, testifying Dylan. And quite frankly, I, to me, it was a disgrace of how a committee should be run in our state. And mm. to me, it was poor, poor, it was poor government. Yeah. And again, uh, this is the farming show here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Enrique Gastelum is with us um, testifying in favor of this, this bill, 5476, Senate Bill 5476, which, by the way, if you want to voice your support for this, uh, giving farm workers, first and foremost, giving farm workers the opportunity to get in some more hours when times are busy, because that's when you can get the hours. You can't get them in the middle of, well, right now even. You can't get the big hours, and, you know, that's how I paid my way through college. That's how I grew up. That's how my family uh, did its thing was, you know, when, when things are busy, when, when the work is there, the fruit's there to harvest, you go after it and you slow down in other parts of the year. This bill would allow more of that than what the current Washington state law is allowing, which is hurting farm workers, causing them to earn less. As you're describing, if people want to, to, uh, be a part of that. You can send a message still to this committee, and it's important because uh, the community, the committee needs to do something about this in a short amount of time here for this issue to move forward. So, if you text the word uh, "let us work," just kind of all one word, no spaces, just text that "let us work" to five two eight eight six on your phone. Very simply, "let us work" to five two eight eight six. It will take you to that campaign. And you can weigh in as well, send emails to everybody on this committee that we're talking about to make it clear how you want something to be done to protect farm workers and to protect the future of farming and producing food here in Washington State. Enrique Gastelum, uh, CEO of Waffle, with us on the program right now. Talk about what was happening in that committee. Talk about the disrespect. I felt it, but you were in the room, and this is your community that you grew up with that was being treated this way. Explain what was happening there. So we had, um, after, uh, you know, myself and several others testified pro on the bill, we then started having some workers testifying pro that were basically, you know, they were, and everybody can go look up the hearing. The workers were that were in favor of this were saying, look, I, I need to be able to work more than 40 hours. I'm not going to be able to survive after 40 hours. I don't even know if I can stay in the industry. I'm going to have to find a second job. Please just let us work. We need to work. And you had uh, Senator Saldana, and these, a lot of this testimony was directly in Spanish. There was a, <laughs> there was a certified interpreter in the room who they did not leverage. And Senator Saldana took it upon herself to uh quasi make an attempt to translate but in essence summarize what we she believed the workers were saying and then took it upon herself to also add her own personal spin and opinion and stating that well the workers really have been misinformed and they don't know what they're talking about um there there there's just a lot of misinformation and to me i there was a um hearing in that same committee on um some cannabis bills prior to that yeah Never once did anybody on that committee correct what one of the people testifying said or <laughs> yeah. redirect them. They asked them questions and the people gave answers. This to me was a shame that we had a senator and the chair redirecting people's testimony 
and basically saying you don't know what you're talking about. We know better than you. To me, that's just that's just Un- it was unbelievable for me to watch. It, as it well. was. It was. It was. And then when you had the the con people that don't want this bill coming in, all they could talk about was how this was racially driven uh, farming community. The industry just wants to racially um, uh, keep down the Latino farm workers. I mean, there were references. Did, did they to notice when, that it was the workers in the room themselves that they were uh, using these old tropes to argue against? Exactly. Exactly. So they were it's calling. Insane. They were calling the farm workers who are Mexican-American, typically, or Latino themselves, racist for supporting this. And then there were at least two actual Latino farm orchard owners themselves, small, saying, I can't survive if I'm going to, if this overtime law doesn't get changed or I don't have a chance for some relief. And so thus, in essence, they were being called racist, which... For me, being a Mexican-American myself, I'm lumped into that group as well. Yep. And so to me, shame on these union activists, shame on these senators for allowing that type of language to go on in a public forum where we're trying to have a balanced, legit, factually based conversation about real life. I mean, we're not talking about university studies here and playing games in (laughs) literature. We're not sitting in some college dorm room trying to fix the world. What we're talking about are the realities of life. And they slapped everybody in the room that was pro down when we were trying to paint the picture of what the realities of life are. And it was, it was, it was a shame, man. It was a shame. So, where, where do we go from here when we have the people who are supposed to be standing up for the, the, the hurt party, the, the folks who are actually being harmed here, and we have the people who are supposed to be standing or claim that they're standing up for them actually arguing. It's, it's almost like, what is it, victim blaming? I mean, <laughs> how far does this go and how do we stop this and how do we let other people know what's actually happening here? How far? how much of a sham this whole thing is. Yeah, it was obvious. It was obvious um, the chair and the co-chair had their minds made up before that hearing was even held. Um, It was obvious they knew what they wanted to hear and what they weren't going to stand for being told in that room. And so to the entire ag community of workers and growers out there that believe we need this relief and know we need some relief off of ag overtime, we can't let this discourage us. We have to keep up speaking our truth as long as it takes for us to be heard. If we keep if we keep telling our story, I do have hope and I do have belief because when you know the truth will come out. But we have to uh, while this upsets me personally and uh, was very discouraging for me, um, it has just energized me even that much more to keep beating the drum of what the truth is going on and the realities of the world we're facing. It does seem like such a steep hill hill to climb, though, when so many people are unaware of this and just assume that, you know, a senator who says they, you know, stand for important things like social justice and groups that say they stand for that and they stand for, you know, the underrepresented person, the minority, the the victim. And I think a lot of people have no reason to question or, or to think that they may not actually truly be about that. It's it's such a hard uh, thing to challenge 
when when you know the truth that that's not actually what they're doing correct yeah yeah and and here's the deal people that think that way dylan unfortunately they will never be happy and enough will never be enough yeah there will always be some there will always be some battle to pick with the farming community there will always be some injustice going on you know you 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 give up some it'll never be enough and so that's where us as an industry, those of us that truly care about our viability and the future and know what it is we've been doing, we, we've got to come together more now than ever and continually making our voices heard to the wider public as much as possible. Yeah. Enrique Gastelum, CEO of Wafla, with us on the program. He grew up in a farm worker family. Um, what do you think? I mean, he's no, he's not with us any longer, right? But what would your dad say about all this? I, I would say my dad would be pretty pissed off if somebody <laughs> told him to his face in a public forum, you know, basically, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. While my dad was a farm worker, he knew what he, 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 he was a pretty straightforward guy. He knew what he liked and he knew what he didn't like. Yep. If my father felt that an overtime exemption, and even for my mother, my mother walked with Cesar Chavez, Dylan, mm -hmm. back in the 70s, okay? Mm. Yeah. In the Yakima Valley. She was a part of that movement. If they truly thought the farming community was so racist, then why would my father have worked for three decades as a farmhand yeah. working in the farming community? Yeah. He had enough skills. He had gained a lot of skills, had become a, a heavy equipment operator in, in, in farming community, operated large combines, probably could was le had legal status, could have probably gotten a job at a construction. He was fully English speaking. He probably yep. could have gone and worked in the construction industry or manufacturing or doing something else and had the opportunity to earn overtime. Yep. But you know what? He stayed where he stayed because he loved what he did. He loved the community he had at his, at his farming operation and his company and the employers and his bosses treated him well. Exactly. And there's a lot of, and and, you know what? And a lot of people and in the farming okay. community. Yeah. Why are you? Just, oh, just a dumb farmer. Well, do you know what goes into that? And you know what, uh, you know, whether it's a farm worker, a manager, a supervisor, an owner, do you recognize what goes into farming these days? It's not a, a job for dummies. <laughs> right. and, and I would say, you know, no matter what someone's skill level is, and this is this is the twisted part is, you know, these are the groups that are saying we aren't supposed to look down on these communities. Yet I think they, they kind of do or assume the things that they tell everyone else. It shouldn't be assumed that these people don't know what they're talking about. You know, the, right. the, the, but, the but people yeah, in those communities know economics probably better than they do because they live it. It's real right. to them. Their choices are, make a difference day to day. They understand it better than they do. Right. They they're the ones they've got to set up their spraying equipment every day to calibrate it. They have to know how to operate their tractor at a certain speed. They have to know how to mix chemicals or else it can be very dangerous. Like you're telling me they can't understand a very basic impacts of overtime laws yeah. on their wages. Well, and talk about budgeting. I mean, these people know right. how to budget because they do right. come from families without a whole lot of money. I mean, that's that's the background of my family, too. And gosh darn it, you learn it's survival. And so, you know, and so then to talk down to them and say, well, they don't actually understand the nature. 
It was mind-boggling, disheartening, and offensive to me, and that much more, it sounds like, to you, Enrique. Thank you for, for speaking out at that hearing. Like you said, it's the first time you know, doing that. I, I'm that much more impressed by some of these guys just right off the farm being willing to do it. You know, I'm, I, I kind of, you know, do the talking thing for a living and it scares even me. I can't imagine somebody who's just using, used to running tractor and, you know, swamping cherries and what, you know, working with their hands, how intimidating it is. So I, I'm, I'm so proud of their courage to come and, and speak in that kind of form. I'm disappointed that they were disrespected there. Um, but I think, you know, shining a light on what actually happened and what the truth is, is important here. And, Enrique, thanks for being here with me to to help do that. And as you said, we got to keep on with this. Um, so let's yes, stay in sir. touch on it. And, and uh, I appreciate your voice in, in this this crazy world right now on this. Yep. Thanks for having me on, Dylan. Appreciate it.